Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday. Every Monday at 7.30 p.m., on WBCQ The Planet, broadcast out of beautiful Monticello, Maine, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, I should say, since it's shortwave, it's heard around the world. Anyway, uh, this show is uh, sponsored by Camp Constitution, and among other things, Camp Constitution has a family camp, which is coming right up in just a few weeks, July 12th to the 19th. And for those of you interested in learning more about it, visit our website, www. Dot campconstitution.net. And uh, we have a guest on the line here, Mr. Chuck Morris. Chuck, are you there? I am, Hal. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, I'm glad to have you. Uh, Chuck, uh, you and I go back, oh, I guess to 93 or 94, when you were starting out in the talk show world, the radio talk show world. You had a show on, uh, I think it was Tufts University in uh, near Boston, Massachusetts, and you went on to you graduated from there, and I think you did a you started doing cable TV show, and you still host one all these years later. Um, and one of the people that when I first met you, I suggested uh, a number of people that you ha- should have on your show. And one of them is uh, a man who became a dear friend, not it was my dear friend, but a dear friend of yours, Sam Blumenfeld. And uh, we lost Sam just a few weeks ago. We've had. Uh, Sam has been had been a guest on this show a number of times. He's been an instructor at Camp Constitution. He really loved coming up to the camp and talking to the young people and you know meeting meeting new people and visiting with old friends. And uh, I know Chuck, he was a almost a regular guest with you, almost a co-host sometimes. Sam and I did thousands of radio broadcasts. I mean, he was and remains a towering figure in my life. I still can't believe he's gone. He was a uh, the man was a giant of a man. He uh, is one of those people that will never be celebrated by the big Eastern Seaboard liberal elites, but he was someone who, in his own way, made a major impact on the world and continues to do so. I believe, Sam, I would describe him as the founding father of the modern homeschooling educ- movement, which in itself is one of the most optimistic movements we've seen come out of the firmament in the past several decades, finally parents are taking control of their children's education, they're circumventing the establishment education, which is deliberately scrambling people's brains and morality, and they are producing children that are excellent, and uh, even to the degree that a lot of liberals are now getting into it. Everyone wants their their children educated properly, and uh, it's something that the establishment has not been able to control. It's something that continues to grow. Sam has written almost a shelf of books on education. These books are unique. 
He uncovered what, what can only be described as a conspiracy in his research of John Dewey, the so-called founder of uh, progressive education, and how Dewey deliberately and consciously set about to dumb down this country but through a mis-teaching mis of reading. It's an incredible story. It's something that uh, it, it should be an eye-opener for anyone who, who uh, is exposed to it. Well, you know what's interesting, Chuck? This Common Core is a next, this next, a newest scheme. And actually, it's nothing really brand new. Uh, Sam had been talking about the, the, this for years. And the good thing about Common Core is not that it's good, but it's helping parents. Maybe many more parents have come to realize how bad this is and are looking at the bigger picture. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times when we'll give presentations, whether it be Sam, you know, had done presentations on the topic, a lot of the folks who are children that are, are in public schools get offended. There's a saying, you mean this, you're questioning my judgment? You don't think I know what's happening in the public schools? And the answer is, for the most part, no. You don't know. And if you uh, believe in moral values and absolutes and you have some type of Judeo-Christian background, you would be repugnant at what's happening. And the notion that you can somehow unlearn uh, I remember hearing a fellow call on one of these talk shows one day, and he said, oh, he thinks it's funny, it's cute, my son comes home and tells me I'm a fascist because I don't recycle, oh, i got to deprogram him. And how you deprogram somebody who's been, who, who's look, get, getting this stuff seven, six to seven hours a day, five days a week, uh, nine to ten months out of the year, you may have quality time with your son for how long? Fifteen minutes? When he's not on his cell phone or watching TV, and you're going to have influence on him? Um, it's interesting too. Sam, not I would totally agree that he was a pioneer in the modern homeschool movement. Even though a lot of folks, so when you bring up his name, who's that? Uh, although he's he is still very well known and has been well known. Uh, there's a whole new crop of people that may not know Sam or even know the name, but the influence because Sam has in, influenced so many people. And you know, people who listen to you, Chuck, you'll say, well, I was motivated by, uh, by, by Chuck Morris. I met Chuck. I heard him on the radio. He's the one that inspired me. Yeah, but who inspired Chuck? And I know that uh, I've influenced some people in the homeschool communities, and I do, uh, we homeschool our children, and we, uh, we, we have tables. Uh, Camp Constitution sets up tables at homeschool conventions, and we reach out to people, and we've, been, you know, we've had Sam's books. So a lot of people are influenced. So Sam has several, I guess, two generations. I won't use the word disciple. I kind of kid people. I say I'm, like, I'm a branch Blumenthology, you know. But really, uh, it's interesting, too. When we, when we first started homeschooling, you know, sometimes you always go, are we doing the right thing? You know, uh, maybe we should look. At, and then I would play a speech. Uh, I get all my cassette. You know, Sam has, he's given hundreds, if not thousands, of presentations in his long and productive life uh, in all 50 states and in Australia, in New Zealand, and I think he even went to China. Uh, actually, he did go to China a few years ago, uh, and he was trying to teach these, these Chinese people, if you're going to learn English, learn how to do it phonetically, you know, so you can master the language. Uh, so Sam has influenced so many people. And you see, a lot of people, when I first started uh, back in the year, I met Sam in 88, 89, and worked with him from the early 90s up until he passed away very recently, I would take him uh, for speak to speaking engagements, uh, radio shows, and I interviewed him uh, at the cable TV show that I used to do. I had him come to our camp on a 
pretty regular basis. And there are a lot of people who would say, uh, well, Sam's a great guy, but he's a little too radical. The problem was a lot of these people were afraid to actually, they, they knew what he said was true. They just didn't want to, they just were, were afraid to deal with it. And that's one thing that Sam would be noted for, that he was one of, if not the first person, and you said earlier, conspiracy. People, I don't know why, they, they seem to be afraid of that word. It's a good word. It's an English language, you know. Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, conspiracies happen all the time. I mean, political and, and criminal conspiracies. It's uh, people using uh, methodology to deceive or to defraud people for a lot of reasons, whether it be uh, for right. money or for some bigger agenda. And in the case of the um, John Dewey, John Dewey knew that he could not implement socialism in the United States, which he believed in. And he had previously been influenced by Edward Bellamy's Looking Backward, which yes. uh, was basically a fictional book that was hugely popular in the 18, early 1890s, where this guy falls asleep for 100 years, wakes up, and he's discovering this wonderful, glorious communist America. That's and, right. Uh, it's, a, it, it's an excellent book. And, it, and Edward Bellamy was from Chicopee, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And Sam said that this novel was one of the top motivating novels or influential novels of that time. And today, yeah. a lot of people have never heard of it. I, I, and he's the one that I actually, when he told me about it, I read the book. I says, oh, my goodness. And it was Bellamy's, I think, Bellamy's um, cousin who wrote the National, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. And you think, well, he must have been a patriot. And, uh, yeah, he may have been a better. He was an international. He was a socialist. He was trying to have us pledge elite, blind allegiance to the government. It took... I think it was the American Legion uh, to add one nation, a Republican under God. So they sort of hijack it a little bit to make it more pro-American. So the idea of this nationalism, and uh, Sam wrote would write about uh, Horace Mann. And I think you joked about it. There's a statue of Horace Mann at the State House in Boston wearing a toga. And didn't you say that they should have a statue of you wearing a toga? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that should be Sam Blumenfeld. I mean, Horace Mann was 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 really way back, you know, a, a so-called progressive educator. He tried to put Look Say into the Boston school system in the 1840s. As early and he, as was, he was successful. I think it was introduced for a few years. Yeah. But unlike today, they didn't have big foundations uh, forcing, you know, giving money to schools or didn't have the federal government giving money to schools. So what did the teachers do in Boston after a few years? They said, Let's, this is a disaster. Let's get rid of this thing. Exactly. And people have enough yeah. sense to do that. But, uh, but, but as far as Francis Bellamy goes, you know, this is one of those situations where it sort of backfired on the left. You know, he implemented the Pledge of Allegiance, and the kids stood in class every morning and saluted the flag like the Nazis. That's right. That's right. The, That's right. the ancient Romans. That's and, right. Um, the idea was worship of the state, the, uh, you know, the nationalist clubs that built up and, uh, you know, to, to, that the state, it, was, it came from the Hegelian concept of the state as having a sort of a divine entity, kind of a, re, re, uh, a repackaging of the divine right of kings. And, uh, but but the, the nationalism eventually was, co- as you say, hijacked, it was co-opted by conservatives in a way that, like, when Karl Marx coined the phrase capitalism, he, uh, you know, he meant it derogatorily, but today it's a That's badge right. of honor. So, That's you know, right. These are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, the left can manufacture these or attempt to manufacture realities, which is what they do, 
but the real reality eventually bubbles up to the surface and uh, and asserts itself. And I think that was the case with with the uh, with Bellamy. But but Dewey really was uh, you know Sam wrote extensively on John Dewey, and his influence was profound. I mean he really wanted to he understood that in order to circumvent the development of the of the American citizen that he he could have to tinker with the children's minds by 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 corrupting their ability to read and uh you know thus create rather than an independent thinker who could go on and and actualize his own life based on his own terms you would have what Dewey called a fusion in, 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 which is what he strove toward but he also understood that you could not do it openly because if you did there would be a, a a revolution a rebellion a rejection so that's where the word conspiracy comes into play Dewey consciously and deliberately hid the agenda. And uh, didn't he write this? It, it was in 1898. He wrote the uh, the reading fetish. Fet- yeah, which which he referred to reading as a perversion, and, and that somehow uh, <clears throat> it had to be overcome. And then in another essay, he wrote about the church and the father-headed state is an institution that 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 should be viewed as an anachronism. He wrote that the Constitution was unsuitable to modern society, as did, by the way, a young professor in 1880 who wrote an essay about the Constitution who went on to become President Wilson. I mean, this was a part of the progressive idea that somehow the state was would become an, a living entity rather than simply a, a, a you know government is existing under a set of laws that allow individuals to be living entities. And you know, the, the government, government is... Uh... In the eyes of the uh, progressives, I hate to use that word progressive too. It's nothing progressive about socialism and tyranny, but they looked at the state as God walking on earth. And the Humanist Manifesto won, I think it was 1933. John Dewey was one of the, he lived a long life too. Uh, He died in his 90s. Uh, But John Dewey, I believe it was Dewey who said that the teacher, the humanist teacher, will use the classroom just like a minister, a, you know, a preacher will use the pulpit and to promote humanism. And humanism is uh, a religion. Uh, it's it's oh, the worship, oh. deification of man. And unfortunately, there are so many people who would never call themselves humanists, but thanks to the influence of Horace Mann and John Dewey and many others, are really, in essence, humanists. Well, he did turn the, the public education into a pulpit. He took away the ability of, of young people to learn cognitively so they could think of their own through things like phonics and things like understanding the Constitution and, and basic modalities of education that would help someone think clearly, critical thinking, declamation, the memorization of things. And he replaced it with behaviorism, you know, with preaching. I mean, the teacher would stand on the soapbox now and preach about things like global warming and uh, you know, social justice, which is a euphemism for communism. Unfortunately, I see that this happening not just in the schools, but in a lot of institutions, including the Catholic Church. Look at the Pope. That's right. That's I mean, right. It's, it's terrible. I mean, it's he's there. He sounds like one of these socially progressive teachers. They're now coming out. He's coming out with an encyclical about global warming, and he goes yes. to Turkey and he prays in a mosque while while <laughs> Christians are being slaughtered in Syria and Iraq. I mean, it's become, in other words, religion has been replaced in this case by this idea that the ultimate virtue is to tolerate others, including others we may not like. 
there's no actual belief system there. I mean, this is a whole different subject, Al, but, you know, I mean, I, I've done some writing on this with, with regard to the influence of Julian Huxley. By the way, I, uh, let, let the listeners, uh, if they want to get a hold of you, uh, and you're, you have a radio show, and you also have a website. I think you've archived uh, almost all of your, your uh, uh, interviews with Sam Blumenfeld. You were probably, I would say, the last person to interview him uh, on on, a, on t- television or on a um, you know yeah. a uh, video showing. So why don't you, uh, why don't you give that information out? And you've also written a few books too. So please, uh, thank you, Hal. I mean, yeah. what I would I would send people to uh, my my blog site, which is Chuck Ward Speaks, and on that site you'll see featured a um, a page dedicated to Sam, with links to many of our interviews on the radio. There's probably about 30 interviews that you could listen to, some of the best radio I've ever done, I ever probably will do, and um, and also I did have the privilege of interviewing Sam on my TV show in the Boston Neighborhood Network, just a few weeks before he passed away. And he came in, and he was brilliant. You can see that on YouTube, and it's archived also on my my blog site, and my books are available at Amazon or Amazon Kindle. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, like Morse code, and you'll see about 15 books come up. It was amazing, though, seeing Sam and his life. I used to visit him a few days before he died, and you know he was weak, but his mind was clear. He was no, there was oh, yeah. not an there was any, there was no senility at all. He, his mind was. I mean, if you look at a body, you know, you say, well, okay, the guy had a body of a 25-year-old, or you know, uh, well, yeah, his mind was that of a, you know, of, of a very, uh, on all cylinders, you know, he was, his oh, mind was physically cool. fit to say, uh, even up at the last few, uh, you know, the last few days before he passed away. Um, I wanted to get a, a, the book that he co-authored, and I was very pleased that I was able able to play a role in getting him to meet his co-author of Crimes of the Educators. Alex Newman. Alex uh, had not met Sam uh, prior to um, they collaborate on a book uh, published by World Net Daily, Crimes of the Educators, and mm-hmm. you can find that on Amazon. It's selling very, very well. And uh, I'm almost I'm about halfway through it. And there's a lot of information that was not new to me, but there's always new things to learn. But one of the there's two chapters that really struck me. Uh, one of them was the the creation of a black underclass. And how this these scientific racists uh, it's really hard for people to understand that these so called progressive educators, most of whom they were racists, and they created the i q test to prove that certain people were in, i say prove in quotation marks and and it came out of uh, uh, Clark University uh, G. Stanley Hall hired this fellow to uh, to come up with this i q test. And, and then he, he, they even looked at they got uh, they got eleven blacks and twelve whites and twelve in American Indians, and they uh, did a reaction to a stimulus. And they said, well, the whites were the slowest, the Indians were the fastest, the blacks were in the middle. Therefore, it demonstrates that blacks and Indians are inferior because whites respond slower. Well, wait a minute. How is that anything to do with intellect? I mean. You have quick reflexes. That's, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a, a good mm-hmm. sign? Why would that have anything to do with of intelligence? So anybody can hit a baseball at 95 miles an hour to make them dumb. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. I think you've got something going for you. But it shows you it, it's a farce. And the, the sad thing is that most people, I'm not suggesting that most white liberal educators are racists, 
But I remember uh, back in the 90s, I befriended a couple of lovely ladies from Boston, uh, Roxbury, black ladies, and I had them on my, I think it was a cable TV show in Framingham where you, where you had, you had uh, filled in for me and you were getting your first taste of cable TV. And um, this lady was probably about my age, uh, Lydia, uh, and she said uh, that she, was, uh, she wanted to be a nurse. Uh, and she goes to the white uh, guidance counselor. Oh, wow, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But you probably don't have the ability. A hairdresser is what you should be. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a hairdresser. Uh, my sister-in-law is a hairdresser. They do pretty well for themselves. But if this woman wanted to be a nurse, and she became a nurse, and I said, I think the, the inner city schools were the laboratories for the rest of the country. You know, the stuff they were doing uh, to, you know, they did, you know, in the mid-80s to all the schools they were doing the, in the black communities in the 70s. But there's a chapter all about this, uh, uh, the black as a, the black underclass, and you see, mm-hmm. because most of them, and it was interesting, too, that uh, at the slate, 1880, there was a black literacy rate of, uh, illiteracy rate was about, was about 57%, and then 20 years later, it's down to 20, and then in the 1920s, it was sort of the, the renaissance in Harlem when, you had black businessmen and you had business owners and you had a, a literacy rate and blacks were making great improvements. And then what happened? Your look say and the look say method uh, crippled. Well, I mean, it was, it was all, a lot of things. I, I think it was none other than um, Lyndon Johnson's assistant secretary of labor, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who warned about um, what, what the so-called great society was going to do to black people. And at that time, the black family was intact. About uh, there was about eighty uh, percent black people were religious. They were coming up in the ranks. They were entering into the middle class in spite of Jim Crow. That's right. And yet, what what the big welfare state did was today you've got black literacy illiteracy rates. I mean, literacy rates, I should say, is is something like thirty to forty percent. Broken homes is very. Marriages are down about the same number. Crime is up. And so, yeah, this system is racist. I wouldn't say they are not racist. I'd say they are racist. Yes. They have a paternalistic, patronizing, uh, white man's burden attitude toward black people who they treat like children. We know what's uh, best for them, they say. We know what's best for you. Right. And, and then, not, that I, not, not that I admire Malcolm X, uh, but I read his autobiography, and he said that the white liberal spells Negro, K-N-E-E-G-R-O-W, uh, meaning that they're condescending, the white liberals condescending to the the black. You know, we know it's you must well, do what we tell you. They treat them like children. I know people like that in my own family. It's disgusting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and that certainly people like John Dewey and them and the whole liberal establishment, they were eugenists. They did believe that uh, because they adhered, of course, to the practical aspects of Darwinism, they did believe that man is not created equal, but they were at different levels of the chain in terms of our, our, our evolution based on, on breeding. That's Darwin right. theory. And that basically, uh, you know, black people were, were not, were less well-bred. They were inferior because of their biological breeding levels. And Darwin was very explicit about this. And so, uh, know, yeah, Darwin's pit bull, uh, was it Thomas Huxley? Known as, uh, yeah, T.H. Huxley. was yeah. a flaming racist. And, of course, he was the... Was he the son, uh, the father of Eldos Huxley, right? And that's also, right. And Julian uh, Huxley, the father Julian of Huxley. UNESCO, who yeah, that's uh, right. Right, a few years after World War II in the Holocaust, he wrote a, a manual for UNESCO where he talked about bringing eugenics back at the right time. So, yeah. you know, this is, a, and I think they've done that with abortion. 
They've done it with uh, population control with UNESCO and uh, the Planned Parenthood, International Planned Parenthood has poured billions of taxpayer dollars into forced, forced abortions in China and in, in China, other countries. that's right. That's right. And sterilization, they've sterilized tens of thousands of women without their even knowing it. That's right, and, especially you know, in India. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah. this is liberalism. I mean, this is, uh, you know, uh, broad-minded uh, thinking. And, now, the uh, other... Uh, the, it was another chapter in the book, <clears throat> and uh, it was uh, the Miller test. I don't know if you've got a chance to read that or not. Well, Sam, as you know, Sam had bequeathed his library to me and his papers, and that to me is an awesome responsibility, and of course I want you to be a part of any, and we've already uploaded some of his uh, letters. In fact, uh, Rudolf Fleisch, I want to talk about Rudolf Fleisch for a oh, few yeah, seconds. Oh, yeah, the influence system. It's interesting that one person influences another, uh, when Sam was uh, working for Grosset and Dunlop, and I, I just found a letter. Well, the reason, he never told me this. Maybe he told you that he got fired because he had published a book, a, a, heart, a, a paperback, when the boss was gone. Uh, he authorized the printing of a book. I think it was a Max Eastman uh, going after socialism, and I said, that's, why he got, that's why he was let go. Uh, but he was asked by a friend of his, so, um, Watson Washburn, a New York attorney who passed away in the early 70s, he asked him if he'd be part of this Reading Reform Foundation. And Sam says, well, why would you need this? And he said, he said she'll not learning how to read anymore. He says, what are you talking about? You know, reading is one of the most easiest things to learn. I mean, it, it's just like, you know, just like walking and talking. It's not that difficult a thing to do. And he said, no, you need to read Rudolf Fleisch's book, Why Johnny Can't Read, which was published in 1955. So Sam read it, and uh, that put Sam on a lifelong journey to inter- get phonics, to promote phonics. And yep. of all the books he wrote, I think the most influential, they're all great, all the books he did, even the Shakespeare Marlowe controversy is a great book to read. But mm-hmm. it's his alpha phonics. If he, if the, He's going to yeah. have a legacy that's going to be multi-generational and with the people like you and I making sure that his legacy was on. The alpha phonics, how to teach People and he's taught adults. He's taught people with Down syndrome. He's taught um, you know children. Uh, it's a very simple step. I think a hundred steps to become very highly literate. And he said you don't need puppets popping out of trash cans or pictures to teach you how to read. And the Alpha Phonics book. So uh, I actually have some correspondence he had with Rudolf Fleisch, and I learned that Fleisch was a socialist. He was from Vienna, Austria. Came over here before the Nazis took over. And uh, but so he was a very honest, uh, noble guy. I don't think he was trying to destroy people's minds. Hey, you embrace socialism. That's your business, you know. Um, but he, uh, but he was. He realized how how detrimental phonics. Um, you know, I mean, looks say method was, and he spent a lot of time trying to get people to understand. So yeah. So I want to mention the Miller test. Uh, there's a chapter in the book, and I have a box. One of the boxes was all this. I didn't know anything about this Miller test, and I read the chapter. I said, "Oh well, there was a man that uh, that he heard, Sam heard. Uh, he heard Sam speak somewhere. I think he was from North Carolina, and he ended up. Um, he believed that he was dyslexic from the beginning. It was almost a, a, a something a hereditary ailment, and then he discovered that he was dyslexic not because of uh, genetic problems, which is the you know the phony." Uh, the medical world, but his the little books that his mother would read to him when he was a, when he was a ba- you know a toddler, gave him that look say reflex, and it really helped Sam because Sam couldn't under- couldn't answer the question either, 
And, he, and then he started doing tests. He came up with a Miller test, and he was going into public and private schools, uh, and he learned that from the, at the fourth grade, you kind of peek out what the looks say because he was testing the sixth graders who had been tested two years earlier, and they were doing, they were doing poor. So they only memorize so many words, and then you sort of go down. So uh, I recommend, I highly recommend this book, uh, Crimes of the Educators, uh, Sam Blumenfeld yeah. and Alex Newman. It kind of wraps up and encapsulizes all of the material Sam's been working on his entire life, and then it adds a lot more, and it, it's very, very well done. It, I recommend it also. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, uh, 30 seconds ago. we got three minutes left. So let's, uh, Chuck, why don't you talk a little bit about your radio show? How can people hear? Um, and, and what do you talk about on your radio show besides education? I'm sure there's a wide range of topics that you, uh, you're you involved. Well, I mean, I, I look at the news of the day. I interview authors. I do uh, philosophy. I mean, as I mentioned, I've got a, a long uh, correspondence with Sam. Sam was with me on every program I did, and I've probably been on about or oh, well over a dozen radio stations in Greater Boston. Every time I start getting a little traction, they get rid of me, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I go, I jump onto the next one. And uh, and I a lot of those fortunately are archived and they're up available on Chuck Moore Speaks. Um, it's some of the most interesting, if I don't mind saying, some of the most interesting radio ever done. Sam and I had a tremendous on-air chemistry. We had a great time. It was uh, it was fun. It was informative. Sam would would knock the ball out of the park every time with fantastic insights, but he would do it like a kindly Jewish uncle. Yeah, you know, that's it, right. It, yes. He didn't hit yeah. you over the head with it. It was sort of it, it was more effective that way, and that he just uh, he he came across in a nice, gentle, kindly way. But he would get right to it. I mean, the man knew how to skin something down to its most essential basics and present it just right there in the middle of things. You always learn something. I always walk away with something when I talk to Sam, and I only can hope to continue, and I know you do also, Hal, to continue that legacy and to continue to to uh, try to knock the ball out now that Sam, unfortunately, has passed away, that, that we just have to, uh, the best way to, to to hold on to his memory is to continue to work, continue well, to see uh, what he's done. We're out of time. So, Chuck, thank you. We'll have you on again. It was great. And, uh, this, again, this show is sponsored by Camp Constitution, uh, campconstitution.net. And uh, make sure you also uh, – by the way, we started I archiving. If you go to our website, you'll see a link to Scribd, and we have a page for Sam Blumenthal. We're going to be adding to that. So we'll have all these great – uh, and, Chuck, anything I have is yours, if you know what I mean. I mean you're welcome to thank it. You, so Sam. please – okay. God thank bless, you, and we'll, we'll see you down the road. Thank you. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.